Come with us down the rabbit hole. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. As we explore the odd and esoteric. If my answers frighten you, then you should cease asking scary questions. This is the AU Radio Underground Files. Underground Files. recorded from underneath the government's secret medical labs. These are the Underground Files. Joining me today is our normal cast of hooligans. We have Joy over in the corner with her research. Hi, Joy. Hi. It, it, they're just kittens. Don't don't mind them. They have six legs. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Playing with beakers full of questionable liquids, it's Hal. My favorite. <laughs> Trying to decode the super-secret spy satellite transmissions, it's Travis. Hi, Travis. It's really just a pot noodle. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) I'm Hannah. I'm wearing a lab coat, but I only play a doctor on TV, and these are the Underground Files. This week, we're talking about, uh, not current events, but plagues. Appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) I thought so. You know, they they come, they go, they never really leave humanity alone. So I figured, in this time of COVID, what better to talk about than uh, ye old plagues? Just just for clarification, we're not talking about my in-laws, right? We're talking about (laughs) regular plagues? Are your in-laws biological or supernatural hazards? Possibly then we could talk about them. Do do you know of some uh, supernatural plagues? Well, I'm including, granted, if you are a a person of faith, you take these things into account, but uh, the biblical plagues were considered supernatural in origin, uh, being that they came from a god instead of environmental factors. I guess that's a true. Form of plague. I rode yeah. a motorcycle through a plague of locusts once. Oh, God. Ew. I, that sounds, that sounds messy. That sounds really awful. I actually um, did have uh, a little bit of research on the science of the 10 plagues of Egypt, which I think is really cool because we've talked about it many times in the past about how a lot of stuff that was considered supernatural back in the day now has logical, rational explanations for, but during the time, if you don't have access to science, you make conclusions. Aliens. Aliens, the Illuminati, moon Nazis, gods, you know, it's all over the place. This is true. And what I thought was really interesting was I was reading this article. So the first plague, obviously, is the Nile turns to blood. This instance of the water turning red and killing the fish is honestly not that unheard of. There are red algae blooms that are not exclusive to salt water. They are also found in freshwater. And when they hit these large blooms, they are super toxic and they usually kill most of the fish within the water that they bloom into, which then leads into plague of frogs, which is not an unheard phenomenon. There are plenty of uh, animal storms across the world. But if the frogs were living in the river at the time that the algae bloom moved in, frogs would move out of the water to escape certain death. 
which then leads directly into lice or flies. You have a bunch of dead fish, a bunch of dead frogs, and you're not getting rid of them. Bugs spread. And without the frogs to maintain the insect population, things go wild and everything just spirals downhill from there. Yeah. And I mean, like there have been several documented cases of weird rains. Um, Like I think, I believe it happened in Atlanta. Anyway, during one of the hurricane seasons, they had a, a water spout or tornado season. Sorry. They had a water spout that sucked up a bunch of water from uh, some local ponds and things like that. And then it rained frogs. Yeah. Oh boy, guys. If you want to talk about weird rains, I've got some. You've got weird rains. I've got a list. That is somehow <laughs> we talked about discussing plagues and all I got out of that was let's research weird rain because why not? I mean, really un. <laughs> unexplained phenomenon that causes environmental damage. They're not necessarily plagues, but they could definitely be considered plagues. <laughs> they're they're plague adjacent. <laughs> Tell us about some weird rain that you found. Okay. So this whole thing started out um, with... So I, I read this article a while ago talking about this weird blood rain that had occurred. Um, they had eventually linked that one back to dust. I believe that was in India. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly where. It was a while ago. But uh, that led me down the road to researching blood rain and also also known as red rain. And this this kind of stuff has been tracked all throughout history. We have some of the first accounts um, around like 8th century BC um, that was described in uh, the Iliad. But, oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So like way back. It didn't start being something that people tried to explain in a more scientific manner until, like, the 17th century. Before then, it was very much just, oh, my God, the, the, the gods are angry with us, and they're, these are ill omens and all that jazz. But then, 17th century, people started going, what if this is not... What if this is something explainable? Like, legitimately explainable. Let's, let's talk about that. But, uh, for example, one thing that I thought was, was super interesting was... Uh, in Germany, there was a red rain that was believed to be an omen of the arrival of the Black Death, um, <gasps> right before all that hit. And there's a lot of other, um, like, recordings of of these these red rains and, and blood rains being seen just before, like, major events. People really liked talking about it, apparently. Um, well, I mean, it's it's a, an event that is so out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and- pretty dramatic when the sky starts bleeding on you. Well, and I feel like people, in general, humans make ridiculous leaps of logic. We are super good at it. So, it rains red, and that is very memorable. And even if it's two weeks, three weeks, a month later, something bad happens, that rain is stuck in your brain so hard that you're like, it was an omen! When really it was probably just something explainable, high iron levels in the water tables, dust, all that jazz. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. I I think the rain in, if I remember right, the rain in India was actually uh, an algae. I think. Yeah, I was was just about to say the red. The red algae blooms are definitely able to be precipitated. They're they're small enough that they can get into the cycle. Yep. Yeah. Um, so different like aerial spores and weird like algae blooms and stuff. It makes me so happy, but it does. 
So there was this other one that I had also briefly heard about like ages and ages ago. And let me tell you, it took me like half an hour of random, super weird Google searches to remember the name of this or where it was at. Um, I was totally off the market, actually. I thought it was in Michigan. Uh, but in Oakville, Washington, uh, in 1994, there was a blob rain. Yeah, it was and the jellyfish. Plenty of people have talked about it, but yeah, basically weird blobs that were accompanying rain in the middle of the night got everywhere. Um, yep. For were... for those of you who've been around since uh, some of our first Weird Washington episodes, we actually covered the uh, Washington jellyfish, the sky jellies, in one of our Weird Washington episodes, which is what this is, which is so cool to me. Mm-hmm. It's fun, too, because there was, there was a couple of different theories about what exactly was going on with that, too, because, I mean, a lot of people were a big fan of, of the jellyfish thing. Some people suggested it was military testing and that there were sightings of, like, military aircraft around the area just afterwards and such. Um, Illuminati. Yep. But, uh... Sorry, that was was loud. ever proven... You know, as many of these things are. There was also a meat shower in Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> now that's my kind of plague. There's um, there's an alarming amount of meat and flesh rains in history. <laughs> like far more than I'm comfortable with in any regard. It's awful. It's did, did you get research <laughs> on how that comes about? So the Kentucky one, they kind of have a pretty generally well-accepted theory that it was vultures. Oh. Um, because, you know, vultures have this thing where they'll, when one of them throws up, like, either due to fear or whatever else, all of the others will also do it. And so that was kind <laughs> Vulture of... Vulture vomit! Oh, no! That's just kind of the generally accepted theory. That, that is definitely a plague, and I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. That is, in fact... Oh, one fun fact about that, too. Um, so when the meat first rained down upon that area, um, it was tested after a while. There was a bunch of people trying to taste test it, which I don't oh, no, no, want to no. begin to broach that. Oh, yeah. God. But uh, apparently they did actually get it properly tested. And um, the scientists were saying, well, it's either lung tissue from a horse or a human baby. I don't know because they're very similar looking. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to go with the horse just because it's a nicer idea. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, I could... Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Gonna leave that nope. one alone. Nope, I'm just going to leave it alone. There is no way I can cross that bridge without it getting super political right now. So <laughs> we're going to leave it alone. That's fair. But yeah, that's what I have for weird rains. Just lots of weird dust rains and jellyfish <laughs> and... Meat. <laughs> Meat. <laughs> Just bad. I can't imagine the kind of mess that would leave on, on that area, too. Ugh. I, You know, I think that's what 2020 is missing. <laughs> right? The cleanup? We just need a meat rain at this point. Like, nothing, nothing can possibly surprise me at this point, but I feel like we did fire tornado and meat rain is the next logical step. That's fair. Joy, I don't like it, but it's fair. Joy, you were doing some research on, on, on like plague, plague, plague. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, so of course, obviously the most famous plague is the black death, also known as the bubonic plague. Uh, so 
there were there were three big pandemics. The the one that everybody remembers is the late Middle Ages one, which was, of course, what would later be called the Black Death. What most people don't realize is that the bubonic plague still exists. We had a case in 1984 or 1985 here in Washington State, and we just had a case in California this month. Yeah, and you all thought it was gone. Yeah, <laughs> because squirrels. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's a bacteria that's carried um, by rodents, most cases squirrels, chipmunks, and which are adorable little death monsters, um, and uh, and rats. And we get it from fleas, uh, getting bitten by a flea, similar to how you get like West Nile virus, except in this case, it's a bacteria instead of a virus. Ugh, but it, no yeah. So it it manifests in three ways, um, two of which they're so they're all three the same bacteria, but uh, you can either get bubonic plague, which is where it infects the lymph nodes. Um, you can get sepsemic plague, which is you get sepsis, and then there's also a pneumatic plague, which is the only version of the plague that is transmittable between humans without an intermediary host. Um, and that's the only one that's airborne. So it's it's the one that, of course, most countries fear uh, seeing pop back up because, it, uh, similar to COVID, uh, it is uh, it is aerosolized droplets which passed along. Yeah, and it it presents itself with black boils on the skin and just it's bad. It's a bad. It's a bad time. Yeah, yeah, and usually see you see the 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 boils most often in the bubonic version of it, where it infects the lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, the sepsemic is where you start seeing the the black sections, um, and it all depends on how far it uh, it advances. We have great treatments for it now because yay antibiotics. Um, but I was shocked at at just how short of a period of time you actually have to get treatment before it becomes fatal. It's like three days. Yeah, it's a it's about a three day window. Yeah, uh, I, I was talking to Justin uh, about that the other day. We were talking about the cases in Colorado that just happened, and yeah, I never realized how fast the window was that you have to get treated for that. Like, it's immediate. Yeah, yeah, it's about so it's it's if you haven't been treated within within 72 hours the the uh survival rate is really low. Uh pneumonic plague is has a 100% death rate just about after uh 3 days. Some people die within 24 hours of that version. Uh sepsemic's about 50 and bubonic is also around the 50% mark. Sepsemic gets, obviously, with uh, as the sepsis goes along, hits 100% faster than bubonic it's, does. It's a lot like, uh, it's a lot like rabies. You, you gotta get yeah. treated immediately yeah. for it. Yeah, uh, and, and the lethality level is super similar to, like, Ebola. Yeah, as well. yeah. Like, yeah, it just, oh, it just, Ebola's, that's a scary one. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just causes massive... Uh, shut down of, of organs and stuff like that. And it's, it's very much a cascading effect. Yeah, And I mean, the human body, humans are glass cannons. We are delicate so, little flowers. Like we're, we're amazingly resilient for a lot of things, but once starts, once stuff starts failing, it just, it, it, it I lost the word. It just gets worse. Yeah. It yeah. just keeps, it just keeps going. Exponentially accelerates. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> You know, and sadly, like during during the uh, the Black Death era, the during the Middle Ages, they were blaming things like cats and even dogs, and so they were 
they were killing off or chasing out a lot of what would have helped stop some of these problems. And we know now that um, dogs are considerably less susceptible to plague than most other animals are. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I don't remember uh, the cat, like how, how susceptible cats are, but surprisingly dogs are, uh, don't tend to catch it or be carriers. So did you know that, um, so, so the first records of the black plague go back like the, the most people think of the records into like the 1300s and, and that kind of stuff. Um, they actually believe that one of the first recorded instances of the Black Death was in the year 541. Oh, yeah, in Constantinople. Yeah, that's the first yeah. the first recorded of this particular type of plague. The plague yeah. of uh, Justinian, I think? Yeah, it was the plague of Justinian, and it killed about 40% of Constantinople's population. Yeah. Which was one of the biggest cities of its time. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, since Constantinople was a port city, it, I know it, it spread around to, like, uh, Greece and Italy as well before yeah. they got, got a handle on things. They, they estimated that uh, as many as 5,000 people per day died in Constantinople, which, I mean, the, the death tolls of all, of all of the major plagues around the world have been horrifying. Uh, but I cannot imagine 5,000 thousand people in one city every single day yeah it it was you know of course sanitation being what it was um it was really really hard to both to stop outbreaks of pretty much anything anything from scarlet fever to the plague to anything else um just because there wasn't really a good way to dispose of especially dead bodies but uh you know anything i mean the streets just tended to get dirty Inns had fleas and lice and things like that. So it was when something started, uh, port cities usually were the ones that kind of spread it around. Which honestly is why we have such a lower uh, death toll slash instance of mass plagues happening in modern society because our sanitation is a lot higher and our medical fields are a lot broader and more specialized. Um, because these plagues haven't died out. Like, we've proven that. We still have bubonic plague happening. Smallpox is still a thing that affects a lot of the world. Yeah, uh, which, which used to be called the Red Plague before we named it smallpox. Yeah, the the Spanish flu, H1N1, that's existed for a long time. And the only reason these things aren't as prolific as they used to be is just because we have better sanitation, we have better means of control, we have more medicine. It's really spooky. Yeah, Thank you, I, penicillin. Thank right. you, mold. I'd seen uh, <laughs> just that first guy that was like that mold. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna eat that. With it. I'm like, no, I'm, <laughs> eat it. I'm gonna eat that mold. I feel better. Oh, the logic there. <laughs> but uh, I oh, lost my train of thought. Hold on. <laughs> well, what a, one of the one of the great things oh, I I say great, but one of the things that grew out of um, things like uh, the Justinian plague, especially, was um, the idea of miasma theory, which was something that came from ancient Greece, which was a, an idea that bad air caused uh, sickness. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it gained a lot more popularity after after the plagues. Um, it later becomes replaced by the, the our current germ theory that it's not the bad air, it's the tiny things we can't see in the air that are that are carrying uh, the disease. But the idea was that if you aired out your house, if you um, you know cleaned up the streets, basically if you made sure that stuff didn't stink, then uh, you would not get sick. Which does go, I mean, it does help. Fresh air absolutely helps. Getting rid of rotting carcasses absolutely helps. Not having feces or urine or any of that kind of stuff around definitely helps. Yeah, don't don't dump animal entrails into the street. What? And leave them. But but we needed to rain meat. Right? (laughs) I need it for my meat rain. <laughs> I need it for my meat rain joy. Why are there animal entrails all over the street? Who knows? Probably rain. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, it does. It does feed into things like cholera and uh, and other things because when you think about um, like par- like London or Paris, where they have a river running through it and everyone's just dumping everything in the river, when the river stinks, it's probably going to give you cholera and other things uh, or dysentery or um, so you know there were they had the right idea they just the way that they treated it at the time was to shove uh, to use more perfume because uh, if you could smell the perfume then apparently you couldn't get the disease if you couldn't smell the disease Um, (laughs) which I mean excellent logic there these are also the people that were like you have ghosts in your blood may I recommend leeches yes (laughs) I mean, you do what you can with the technology of the time, right? And, and one thing, one thing that was good ba- good about uh, both the use of alcohol and or perfume uh, to help clean up smells was that, due to the high content of alcohol in both of them, uh, it could help, but but not if you just shoved it in your you know in a handkerchief in your nose. Um, so there were some great ideas. It, it's just unfortunate, you know, that it that it went the direction of it's the odor and not. You heard it here first. The other aspect: Axe body spray fights the plague. <laughs> uh, for legal reasons, that is a joke. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. I will come to your house and burn all of your axe body spray. Don't do that. <laughs> but it is it is where we get the 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 plague doctor masks from. Basically, those big cones that they wore on their face, they stuffed with um, herbs or uh, fresh flowers or things like that. And the idea was that if you could if you could filter out the bad smell, then you were also filter, filtering out the disease, which wasn't true. But, but- it worked. But it worked because some of what they shoved in there, uh, as far as plant material, was often antibacterial. Yeah. And it also limits the amount of droplets if something exactly. is spread by that kind of thing. And yeah. the other the other portion of it, and people focus on that mask a whole lot, but you have to, the, the entire Plague Doctor costume um, was was actually probably what helped a lot of them not get sick in that they had a stick uh, they didn't touch uh, the individuals who were sick. They used the stick to usually move people. Um, the hat probably didn't do anything, but it was kind of cool. It uh, looked very nice. Yeah. It completed the ensemble. Right. And the, the coat that they wore over it also helped keep their clothes clean. So And they would 
they would take it off when they were done with their rounds. Um, unfortunately, it wouldn't get washed before they put it back on to go to their rounds the next day. But just the fact that they were covering up and, and keeping from getting droplets and, and body fluids on themselves helped. And they wore gloves and things like that. So while it looks cool, it also did help to a certain extent. There were several plague doctors who um, served multiple cities who never caught the plague. Basically just super, super old school almost hazmat suits but not quite yeah pretty, pretty much yeah for the time basically <laughs> can i also say though i i saw a picture at one point of like one of the actual plague doctor masks they look so much cooler now than they did back then yes <laughs> yes we have like most things in the modern era we have romanticized the plague doctor mask they're weird yeah like straight up kooky weird they make you look like funky, weird, like bird puppets, and it's just kind of it's awful. it's kind of that same like when they when they have Victorian era movies and they have the people wearing the powdered wigs, but they just look beautiful and pristine and stuff. Every time I watch one of those, I'm like, they have lice, and that's like all I can think <laughs> is just bugs in the wig. <laughs> Well, and and one of the things that doesn't get tossed around a whole lot, which people don't understand, um, you didn't. So the Victorian era, you start to see more hair washing and and more ideas about shampoo. But prior to the Victorian era, you didn't wash your hair. Um, you effectively that powder was used like a dry shampoo, and you um, you brushed it through. And uh, so lice weren't as much of a problem because you were um, basically the, the powder that you would use frequently had um, uh, powdered herbs and like pennyroyal and yeah. things like that in it that would, that would help kill stuff like that. But, but people didn't wash their hair. I don't, that's something that, that uh, I, a lot I of people don't understand. I specifically mean like the big wigs and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Because there were lots of bugs living in those wigs. Like yeah. They, they tried, but there were bugs. Yeah, yeah, the wigs the wigs themselves became problematic. Prior to that point, depending on on your your wealth level, most people took really good care of their hair and so they would they would use rats which are are basically pads of of human hair to fluff up their own uh to get some of those ridiculous levels uh that you see in like the 1600s in um like the Sun King for Paris. Um <laughs> So, but those were washed much like you boiled clothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hair washing is, is a relatively new phenomenon. Which is weird. But <laughs> I mean, it's weird for me because I've, I've never known a time except for camping when hair washing was optional. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to think about the soap at the time. Most of it was made with lye. Um, oh, yeah. And funny. yeah, so it. It goes in and out of style whether you whether you wash hair or don't wash hair, um, and and that has a lot to do with the affordability of non lye based soaps. And then we're back to hygiene with just you know plagues and hygiene and mm -hmm. the fact that bathing in medieval Europe was not necessarily big on everybody's to do list. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. Heating water was a huge issue, and there was a strong belief uh, during the the humors theory, where you know your your blood humors had to be balanced, 
and there were the four different humors and cold was a problem. Um, if you were, if your cold humor was too high, then you were likely to get sick. Uh, so, and, and like I said, just, just heating enough water to wash in was really, really rough. No, that that's fair. And I do think it's interesting though. I, I had seen some reports, uh, before on, uh, hygiene in relation to the bubonic plague specifically and, uh, and, and how the hygiene in different countries affected the spread of it because there were certain areas, um, that hardly had any problems at all just for the way that they handled hygiene on a regular basis a, a compared lot of, to Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the Scandinavian countries, mm-hmm. the, the Norsemen specifically, were yeah. very, very hygienic, and the plague was... I mean, it, it still affected them because mm-hmm. it was a plague, Yeah, but their rates of death were much lower. Yeah, and um, I think certain areas out further east as well had far less problems just due to how their culture handled hygiene and stuff like that. It's, it's, I've always thought that was super fascinating. Yeah, and it, it's the you'll see hygiene in in larger cities. Um, well, I I guess I shouldn't blanket like make a blanket statement. In a lot of larger cities, the only uh, water in the city was from the fountains. So you you went out and you got water from the fountain and took it back home with you. So that could be that could be something that affected things if they, like in the countryside you would have uh wells streams things like that it so it was easier to bathe and easier uh to get water whereas opposed to in larger cities a lot of times uh you were getting unless there was some form of aqueducts uh you were getting it straight from whatever your village fountain was or village spring the the well yeah <laughs> and, it, and it was shared by a lot of people, so um, that could also be problematic. Yeah. They poison the water hole! <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have to take all of you on a very quick trip to July of 1518 in the streets of Strasbourg. Don't ask me where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Germany, isn't it? It is. Uh, okay. It's, it's actually, no, sorry, it's it's modern-day France. It's not Germany. I oh, okay. This. There was an outbreak of feverish dancing, which has become known as the Dancing Plague of 1518. And it's one of my favorite little tiny blips in history. Unfortunately, modern media has painted it as these people danced to their deaths, there is no actual records of anyone dying from this, but it did affect, I think, up to 50 people. The The numbers aren't super clear. It's like 50 to 100 in the records that, that they're like all of these weird people. Uh, it started out with one woman just dancing and just she wouldn't stop dancing. No music, just dancing. And gradually, over the the day um, or the week, I, I it lasted a few days. More and more people started joining her in dancing, and they wouldn't stop. Some of them did collapse from exhaustion, but like I said, there was no records of any deaths at the time. But the magistrate and the bishop and a bunch of doctors eventually had to intervene and physically force these people into hospitals. Well, you know, hospitals at the time in 1518. And because this happened so long ago, there is still no, they don't know what caused it. 
there's a lot of theories, food poisoning. Some people think it might have been something in the water. Some people think it might be the rye poisoning, uh, which was very common back then. It's, you know, we've talked about it before with uh, lycanthropy and all that stuff. It causes hallucinations and all of that. Yeah, Um, they think that's possibly what happened in Salem as far as the, the witch accusations. There was a bunch of, it, it was a very, very hard time in that part of the world. They, they were going through like a famine and a drought and it was a very, very stressful time. And so a lot of experts think that it might have been mass hysteria induced by psychological pressure and like people just had mental breakdowns. <laughs> Stress induced psychosis on a mass level. There was starvation and disease and they were already superstitious and... I think there was a thing about cholera. Hold on. Uh, Psychogenic illness could have created chorea. It's a Greek thing meaning to dance. It's a psychogenic thing that has been reported throughout the world multiple times. Uh, These weird fits of just people suddenly breaking into dance and then multiple people joining them. But usually they don't last as long as this plague did. It lasted several days, like I said, and they, they had to physically restrain people and put them into beds. And just make them stop dancing. In, in regards to the potential mass mass psychosis part of that, I am constantly fascinated and also equally horrified by how weird people get when there's a lot of pressure. Like, it just psychologically, people well, get real weird. And it, it is so weird to me, too, because we are, like, people are herd animals at the end of the day, like pack animals and herd animals. We mimic the people around us. Yeah. So if you're already in a very stressful situation and you're on the verge of a mental breakdown and suddenly there's like 15 other people dancing in the street, there's a good chance you're just going to go join them. Especially if it was a hard time because uh, it's it's one way to relieve stress, both pr- participating in group activities and uh, physical activities like dancing. And then Social you just activity. keep dancing and dancing and dancing because peer pressure <laughs> is the real plague. Yes. Psych, you didn't know that this was going to be an advertisement against bullying. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the takeaway for this episode? Is resist peer pressure, guys. <laughs> Just say no to drugs, guys. <laughs> don't eat tainted bread. I mean, I guess that's the takeaway. <laughs> that's the takeaway. Yeah, don't, don't ever eat tainted bread. It's a terrible plan. <laughs> Make sure that your bread has been processed properly. <laughs> or at least that your wheat doesn't have mold growing on it. Yeah. I, I feel like that's just a good thing to follow in general. Like, Well, I mean, but yeah, on, on, on one hand, obviously, yeah, don't eat the ergot, uh, the fungus but um i mean we've we have gotten some some uh useful drugs out of it like ls so. wait no that's not useful. <laughs> <laughs> that's just recreation yeah that's that's not quite the same yeah, you definitely have a point there okay only eat it if it has been processed and approved by the cdc and the fba <laughs> fda oh my god i was like the fbi they're they've already used it <laughs> I may or may not be a government spy. I can either confirm or deny this. You even got a Travis laugh out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Travis chuckling in the background. So, uh, you guys got more plaguey stuff for me, or are we kind of... I I, I did my meat rain rant, so uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, 
since we touched on it, um, probably the Korea that I, I'll never say that right because I want to call it cholera and it's not. Um, yeah, that's my thing too. It looked just like cholera for a second, but I was like, no, it's it's pronounced K H O R E I A. Yeah, Korea, yeah. Korea, not 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 the country people. Um, but yeah, so so one version of that is is uh, the famous one known as Saint Vitus Dance. Um, yeah. So that's probably the one that they were talking about. Um, it's. It's not really a plague. Um, it is, it's caused by Streptococcus, and you usually get it when you have rheumatic fever, uh, from my understanding. It's, it's kind of like a combination syndrome. Um, and it de- they call it dancing, but it's, it's more of, uh, it does cause some neuro- neurological system or symptoms. Um, but it's mostly jerky, like gait disturbance uh, sort of thing. But it, it can look like dancing. Uh, but that's a possibility for for that particular plague. That's really really interesting. I mean, terrifying. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of things that attack the neurological system that cause people to do stuff like that, which is a whole whole other episode of terrifying things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> We're not talking about not deer this time, guys. Right. Oh, God. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess the takeaway is yay penicillin, good job modern medicine, and wash your hands. Yes. <laughs> also, don't leave your dead out in the street. We, the plague doctors aren't coming, so properly dispose of them. And don't lick random things that fall from the sky or rocks. I mean, if you want to ruin my day, <laughs> I suppose. How how am I supposed to have unlimited beef jerky if I can't collect the meat rain? Well, adults, I can't stop you legally, but like, legally. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just thinking that the fact that it's probably vulture vomit made me like really grossed out. Just saying that. But. Yeah, that, that was kind of the end of the fun of the meat rain for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how they narrowed it down initially to either deer or like something similar until somebody just actually sent it out and they went, oh no, this is like horse lung tissue. And they were like, oh, why did we eat that? Also, if you live on the edge of the of a river and the river suddenly looks like it is filled with blood, don't drink the water because red algae is in- extremely toxic. Yeah, don't, don't drink the water. Don't eat the fish. Don't eat, like, I can't. Think of how many times we get a red algae warning for the coast of Washington and people are still out there digging up gooey ducks. Like, don't <laughs> eat it, people. Uh, I believe that the the red algae, it, it contains uh, the neurotoxin that's found in certain shellfish. I yeah, believe. it's not good for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, so there's, there's a toxin that can accumulate in shellfish from the things that they eat. And that is primarily what red algae, like, that's what gives it its color, is that toxin. So it will kill you, and you will hate every minute of it. (laughs) Oh, but I didn't know that uh, densely concentrated algae blooms can also disperse toxins into the air, causing breathing problems for people that live nearby. Cool. I yeah. learned something new. Yeah, the <laughs> respiratory irritation from it. Yeah, they 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 give, they give out that warning uh, for the Washington Washington and Oregon coast. We're usually cold enough that we don't get uh, red algae blooms too often, but 
when I've noticed probably, I don't pay a ton of attention every other year, maybe. It seems like more frequently than you would expect for as cold as our water is. Why Normally, we, it's, it's a bigger deal around the Gulf. Why can't we get bioluminescent algae? Right? Like, like, why do we have to get the toxic stuff when we could get the pretty shiny stuff? Yeah. I feel cheated. That's all I'm saying. Blue, the, the, the blue bioluminescent stuff is much cooler. At least according to the photos. I haven't actually seen it in real life. Also, probably don't eat that either, but like still really cool. <laughs> probably better for you than the red algae. <laughs> well, now you've spoiled my idea for becoming glow in the dark. I'm sorry. I mean, it's like... I... You could find a scientist to just, like, inject you with, like, jellyfish luminescent stuff. You'll be fine. They make I... they make animals that glow now. So. I, they have those adorable glow-in-the-dark kittens, so... Yeah, they, they make they make glow-in-the-dark, like, guppies and stuff. That That's what I need. I need a glow-in-the-dark kitten so that right? I stop tripping on my cats in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. Flawless logic. We are getting off topic again because we do this and we appreciate all of you tuning in to listen to us just ramble about the weirdest topics. We've got some fun stuff lined up for the next couple episodes and we hope that you tune in again and join us next time on The Underground Files. Wash your hands! You've been listening to AU Radio Underground Files. Music is provided by Cubby, PurplePlanet.com, and Bensound.com. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Adventures Underground. AU Radio Podcast is a production of Adventures Underground Copyright 2018 All Rights Reserved.